So how many of you ever have been to the eye doctor? Raise your hand. Eye doctors. Eye doctors. Good, good, good. I actually consulted our resident eye doctor here in our congregation. It's Dr. Kelly Jo Makeley, if you all know her. She's an elder of our church. And I called her to make sure that what I was about to say was scientifically true because I don't want eggs on my face. But yeah, in, in preparation for my sermon today, I, I, I thought about going to the eye doctor. And, and going to the eye doctor is usually a yearly occurrence. We usually go on a year-by-year year year basis. And, and, and it's, done, um, it's done because over time, for most, some, some may not, some may be blessed with 20-20 vision or even better than that their whole entire lives, uh, which is great, awesome for you. I've got contacts in right now. Uh, if I didn't have those in, you all would just be just blurs. Uh, but, but as years go on, there are trauma and things like that that happen to your eyes and they begin to kind of wane. And that trauma could be looking at computer screens, books, you know, whatever the case may be. But your eyesight begins to kind of falter. And so you go to an eye doctor each year and then you sit down at that eye doctor's chair and, and, and take probably the most difficult test ever taken known to man. Not even the SATs can hold a candle to this. The type of anxiety that I feel in this eye test where they sit you down and they put the doolally on your face and they sit there and they say, is it better with one or two? <laughs> you all know what I'm saying, right? Right, you know? Like the one or two and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to need one again. I'm going to need it again. And you can actually hear the eye doctor go, <sighs> you know, back on. And so I asked Kelly, I'm like, what are they doing? You know, are they, are they like focusing in our eyes? And she's like, kind of. She goes, what if I was to tell you that we already kind of know the answer as to which one is better based off of the prescription of your eyes? We're just seeing if you need a stronger one and that's going to be comfortable to you or keep you where you're at. And so they're doing those things to kind of focus in and out as way I can, in my stu stupid way, I can figure that out. And, and, and that's what they're trying to do. But they're trying, the eye doctors dial you in. They give you the tools that you need so that you can, so that you can see, see clearly. We are in a new sermon series, and it is called Simple Living. For those of you who've been around the church, you've heard this before. You may be even groaning, thinking, oh, Lord, here we go again. But simple living, the simple uh, um, uh, way of, of, of what we do here at church, this is our discipleship and evangelistic method, tool, for living out the mission of this church, which is to love, live, serve, and share Jesus Christ Wherever we go, we added that to, to the mission statement this year, wherever we go. And in order for us to love, live, serve, share Jesus Christ wherever we go, we say that it should be done the simple way. Simple stands for studying the life of Christ, investing in the word of God, investing in God and investing in others, ministering to others, S-I-M-P, praying, listening to the Holy Spirit and expecting God to do great things. If you're in one of our small groups, whether you realize it or not, we take you through all of those letters at a meeting. You come together, you gather together, you may have a little bit of fellowship, but then you sit down and you open up the word and there's a study of some sort that is happening. And whether it is specifically the life of Christ or life of Christ adjacent, we're studying the word. And then you invest in each other, you hear each other's stories, you do all of those things, and then uh, there is usually a ministry component. We want you to do some kind of ministry project. And then, of course, there's praying and listening at that group. You pray together, listening for God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal into your heart anything he needs to reveal, and then expecting God to do great and amazing things. This is the way in which we are, are trying to live out 
our mission here at church. And today, we are opening up the first one, the first letter, which is studying the life of Jesus Christ. Now, what would I have for you as we start this off? Studying the life or emulating Jesus Christ, what would Jesus do? Do that, right? Studying the life of Jesus Christ, you need to understand it's not a one-shot deal. We we want to review this simple living on a semi-regular basis because we want to bring us back to that eye doctor chair and get some refocus so that we can see clearly. But studying the life of Christ is not a, a yearly thing. Studying the life of Christ is a daily, dare I say, minute by minute, moment by moment, continuous act to study and and, and encounter and be with Christ. If you're like me as a student when you have to take a test, how many of you are crammers when it comes to studying to take a test? How many of you cram? Raise them up high, crammers. It's okay. Yes, exactly. When I was in college, I took biology not once, not twice, (laughs) three times a charm on that. And when I had to take biology three times a charm is because I first and foremost majored in fraternity the first two times. And on that second time of taking biology, it was the night of the final. Did I study? No. Did I feel that it was now the appropriate time to take the cellophane off of that brand new textbook the night before the final? I did do that. I did take the cellophane off. And then I got a friend who called and said, let's play Tiger Woods on PlayStation 2. Anyone remember PlayStation 2? I'm dating myself. You don't even, you have no idea, right? PlayStation 2 was a video game. Tiger Woods is a golfer, and it was very, very addicting. And so I did that until about 3 o'clock in the morning, came back to my dorm room, opened that freshly new textbook and studied, and do you think I passed? No. We kind of do that with Scripture, if we're being honest. Some may be a little bit better than others, but I think some of us, we tend to possibly cramp. We, we go through life not really thinking about it. We know Jesus, gotcha. And we go through life with knowing him, that's great, but not necessarily experiencing him and studying him and living after the life that he lives until something were to happen in which then we run and try to find out the right prescription or what it is that we need for the moment that we are in. We go through the moment and then we promptly shut that and go about our lives. Studying the life of Christ is a lifelong journey, a daily becoming more and more like Jesus. Because we need these encounters on a daily, daily basis. Because daily, we are confronted with the sinful world and our own sin. Do you understand that when we leave this place, and even right now, some of y'all, maybe your mind might be wandering and that's sin. No, but as we leave this place... And confronted with sin right away. You know how many times I have left church and gotten to the car and the person in front of me has done something awful? I mean, awful like going slow or something like that. I mean, just plain down awful. And the words and the thoughts that come after my mind after preaching the word. And then I sit there, Lord Jesus, please don't let it be a parishioner. You know, it's just one of those things, right? It is an ongoing, open rebellion in us. We have to name that. But studying life of Christ on a daily, continuous basis helps us kind of put that stuff to the side. 
To grow deeper in faith is not enough just to have the one initial encounter with Christ. If you remember when we were going through the last bit of the letters of the New Testament, this was a common theme of those churches, that the people in those churches were saying, well, we've been saved, now we can do whatever we want because we have this salvation. It was a one-shot deal. That's a heresy. That's not, that's not how this works. To be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ is a daily ongoing walk day by day, encountering and knowing him. That's how we contend for the faith, the play to win, if you remember. Because without that, our eyesight, our faith, our heart continues to wane and gets cloudy and confused. And so the first letter of simple living, of how we're going to love, live, serve, share Jesus Christ wherever we go, is to make the commitment to daily study Jesus. A daily, continuous act to see him clearly. Now let's, let me dive in as to what do I mean by that. So, on Tuesday, Jerry, our senior pastor, gathered us all together, all the staff. And at the staff meeting, we typically kind of talk about what happened last Sunday with the message, if anyone had any feedback on that, and then we kind of front load, what's this new message going to be like, and we get, get in, yeah, insight from the staff. That's how I write my messages. I get insight from the staff, copy and paste. No, but anyways, we get, we get insight from them, and he asked us, he said, if you were to pick a story of Jesus, because we're studying the life of Christ, pick a story of Jesus that best emulates him, that, that you love, that you would want to do yourself. So I'm going to ask you all to do the same thing. And if you're not familiar with the Jesus stories, cram. There's a Bible right there starting, and we'll have it now. Just, just, just hold on. But those of you who, are, who, who know some Jesus stories, sit here and think. Sit here and think of some of those stories. What would be the best story for you that, best, that, you, that, that just emulates what you love about Jesus? And the reason why Jerry asked that was because he said that typically the story in which you pick kind of illuminates something about you. It kind of shows what you might be spiritually gifted in, what God is working on you to, to, to share with the kingdom. And I thought, I'd never even thought of that before. And in fact, I kind of failed the test. When he said, pick the story that best emulates Christ, I went to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is not a, a story really about Jesus. It is a description of him. And therefore, Jerry looked at me like, why do we have him as an associate pastor? But I picked it because it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I love that. It's one of my favorite passages about who Jesus is. I think John just nails it straight on the head. That in the beginning there was God and it was Jesus. They were, they were there. That from the very beginning, Jesus wasn't just this, some idea where God was like, oh, i got to do something, let's send Jesus. No, this was all from the very, very beginning. And the best line, that he is the light of, the, basically the light of men. Uh, hold on. The light shines in the darkness before that. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I love that because it speaks to my teacher heart. It speaks to my teacher heart of, of wanting folks to get it, to not be in the dark, to truly understand who Jesus is. When I preach, I'm looking, whether you realize it or not, I'm watching your faces as I'm scanning the room. 
And if I see more than five people nodding off, because you got a, a tithe, tithe some of you who are going to be sleepers, right? 10% of you are going to fall asleep. But no, as you look at that, I begin to maybe change what I do if I feel like I don't have you. And as my wife says, it begins, you begin to kind of circle the airport a little bit. Yes, because I'm trying to catch the ones that I'm not. That's just my teacher heart. It's not great for preaching. So then I thought about what story would I pick? And it led me to the healing of the blind man. Now, there's a couple healings of the blind man. The one that, I, that, that spoke to me and my teacher heart was the healing of the blind man where Jesus had to touch him not once, but twice. You see, as a teacher, what I did as a teacher, when I taught a new concept, when you, if, how many teachers in here? Teachers? Teachers? When you teach a new concept, you get up to the board and you begin to give them the background information. You give them what, what, what is the concept. You introduce the concept of what you're going to teach. And then you give them, you explain that, and then you give them the chance to kind of practice with that. And you've got different examples for them to get their hands on and really try to work with whatever that concept is. And then you walk around the room and you're doing spot assessments to see if people are actually getting it. More oftentimes than not, those blessed, lovely little beings are not getting it. And so you walk right back up to the front and you kind of double back. You reteach. You come up with a different illustration or an example and then try to give them another chance. Now, at some point, the train has to leave the station because we got to keep going. There's only 180 some days in the year. You got to keep going. And for the ones that can't quite get on that train, do we leave them in the dust? No, you shouldn't. You don't leave them in the dust. And what you do is you give them remediation. You give them a chance to come back in when the whole class isn't there and really kind of sit down and talk with them and, and give them a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth try with this concept for them to get it. This is what I see in the healing of the blind man of, of, the, of the two touches. And this is what I get in the importance of studying the life of Christ as a continual daily action to see Jesus clearly. Because you and I, whether we realize it or not, are in need of remediation. We are the students of the life of Jesus who can't quite get on the train. And we want to be on the train because that train leads to glory. Yeah, no, but we, that's, that's what we, that we, we need the extra help. And so what happens here? Let's look, at this. Let's look at this story. Healing of the blind man, Mark chapter 8. Now Mark, Mark in itself, I feel its chief purpose is really, is really to teach. And it's a lot of like very fast examples from chapter 1 and on of what Jesus is doing. And then it's like immediately he did this and immediately he did that. And Mark is just front loading all of these, all of these stories to say Jesus is the Messiah you need to kind of get it. Here we are in chapter 8, and this story of healing of the blind man sits at a time where the disciples are in need of some serious remediation. And you would think the disciples, who are daily walking with Jesus every day, that they would, you know, they get it. They, 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 they should have no problems. And they are yet... <laughs> Thanks be to God, they are, they are great examples and let us off the hook time and time and again because they don't quite get it. And so in this story where we get the healing of the blind man, before that, we have Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus feeding 4,000 people. Why is that important? Because this is what the disciples did. So Jesus goes and feeds the, there's 5,000 people, they're all hungry. Disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, 
They're hungry. We don't got any food. Let's find a 7-Eleven. Let's peace out. We can just leave them where they're at. They'll be fine. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm sure we got something. And so up comes the fish and the, and the bread, and he breaks it, blesses it, does the whole communion thing, and then lots and lots of fishes and bread, right? And so the disciples are amazed. This is wonderful. He's great. He's grand. And there are leftover baskets after the feeding of the 5,000. They come home with a tangible example of what Jesus did. Well, then the story kind of goes on, and then we get to a feeding of 4,000. Lots of people hungry for some reason. So there are 4,000 people. And then once again, with the leftover baskets from the five, once again, the disciples say, Jesus, I don't know. I don't think we can do it. And Jesus is like, oh, me have mercy. Because he wouldn't say, Lord, have mercy. Me have mercy. <laughs> and does it again. Breaks the bread, the fishes, and feeds all 4,000. And then there are more leftovers. Then the story goes on and they meet a Pharisee and they're, they're still kind of hungry. They don't have food or, and things like that. And Jesus is looking at them like, why are you saying you don't have food? Did you not just see everything that I have done? And he says to them, do you have ears that cannot hear and eyes that cannot see? Why do you not get this? They ain't seeing clearly at all. And then we get the story of the healing of the blind man. Chapter 8, verses 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he did spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, Jesus asked the blind man, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, the blind man said, I, I see people, they look like trees, walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, the blind man did, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village, just go home with your perfect eyesight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is happening here in this story? Why am I using it for studying the life of Christ to see Jesus clearly, being a daily and continuous attempt? Look what's going on in this story. First and foremost, who brings the blind man to Jesus? Now we're going to participate. Welcome to class, everyone. Who brings the blind man to Jesus? Shout it out. Some people. Some people bring him there. I would say maybe his friends, right? Some people are good as well. But either way, people... Bring this blind man to Jesus. Think about your first encounter with Christ. Was it at a Holiday Inn Express where you opened up the drawer, saw the Bible, and said, thanks be to God, and you knew who Christ was? Probably not. Maybe, maybe. Great for you. Probably not. Mostly what happened was someone, a family member, a friend, a perfect stranger, maybe a neighbor, someone brought you to Jesus. That's what's happening to the blind man. He's being brought to Jesus. Then they begged him. How many of you right now are begging the Lord to interact in someone's life? You are in good company. This is what you should do. And they begged Jesus to do something with this blind man. Now here's something weird happens. Jesus then takes this blind man by the hand and leads him out of the village. Now, Jesus is not a modest person most of the time. 
Most of the time he does these healings and miracles, he does it in front of everyone to see. In fact, we know that the crowds at some point began to worship the miracles, the, the things that he was doing, versus him. But for some reason in this healing, he leads the blind man away from everybody else and has this personal, intimate encounter with him. And I read a commentator and said that's exactly what's happening, is that Jesus is establishing a very personal, specific relationship with this, with this man. And then he, he spits on his eyes. Now, ew. But that is very much expected of the time. The first service I said expectant on accident. I knew I was going to say it. It was normal for the time for that to happen. Spit was used in healings like that. And so what Jesus is doing is he's stepping in to the schemes of man as the divine and is really going to do something with it. Now, what happens next has, does not happen in any other healing or miracle. He asks the man, do you see anything? When has Jesus ever asked anybody, hey, did it work? <laughs> did it work? You good? You good? But he asks him, do you see, do you see anything? And the, and the blind man says, you know, I see, see people, but they look like trees. It tells us that he was not born blind that he, has, he can distinguish, he knows, between a tree and a person. And so then Jesus touches him then a second time. And it's in that second touch that the man's eyes are opened. And he sees clearly. And the, the connotation of that in Greek is that he can see clearly from a great distance. He sees clearly and perfectly. He has the best eye doctor, the grand physician known to man who doesn't need to ask. Well, he did kind of do. He did ask one or two, didn't he? Can you see anything? Better now with two? But anyway, so I mean, he gets the true, the true focus from, from Christ and he sees clearly. In studying the life of Christ, in our daily walk, our daily attempt to know him and see him clearly. My friend, sometimes we need second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and so on touches. We are remedial kids who need extra help. And it's because we have an open rebellion in our lives of sin going against the Lord. That open rebellion that says to Jesus, you can be king, but I get to rule my life. You can be the Messiah, but I get to tell you what, what, what to do. In fact, in fact, in this passage here, in this, this healing, what happens, what happens immediately next is that Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter, in a great watershed moment, stands up and says, you are the Christ. Wow, great. He sees it. He, he gets it. And all the disciples are like, wow, you are the Messiah. This is great. And then immediately following that, it says in scriptures, Jesus began to speak to them plainly, not in metaphors or parables, speaks to them plainly about what's now going to happen to the Messiah. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to die. And what does Peter do? Great watershed moment. He leads Jesus away. And says to Jesus and rebukes him for this foolishness that he is saying. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. 
Every time we tell Jesus what he's going to do, hear the Lord say to you, get behind me, Satan. Studying the life of Christ is a daily, continuing, ongoing act, knowing full well that we are in need of remediation of the second, of the third, of the fourth touches so that we can have those lenses drop and see him more and more and more clearly as the years go on. And that in not doing that is like not wearing your glasses. It's like forget, how many people forget the reading glasses and they can't read the menu and they're doing one of these things, right? That is, that is exactly what that is. It is a continuous act of, of, of love on our part to, to really want to know who Jesus is and live after him. And the second part of this message then comes in the next scene of this passage. A lot here happened in Mark 8. After Jesus does this teaching of saying, get behind me, Satan, then, then Jesus calls the crowds and people around him and, and really it's like, here, come in. I've got something to say to you. And he says to them, basically, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, if you want to be me, with me, and doing the things that I do, then you have to take up your cross and leave it all behind and follow me. Forever loses his life for my sake will gain it, is basically what he says to them. He says it to all of them. Like, heads up, seven up, everybody. If you want to follow me, if you want to be with me and come after me and know me and do the things that I do, then you got to take up your cross. And, and leave it all behind and, and lose your life to, to do that. Now, what in the world does that mean? The, the, the Apostle Paul in Galatians says this, For I am crucified with Christ, for it is no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. Therefore, now I live according to his purposes. Now I'm paraphrasing. His purposes and not to the purposes of the flesh. It means that, and, and, and another thing, the Gospel of Luke has the same story, and he adds the word daily to it. Daily take up your cross and follow me. What it means is that if we want to be like Christ and we want to study his life and try to emulate it, it's continuous and daily, but it also is a continually daily taking up of our cross, putting to death the things that make it blurry. It's waking up each and every morning and saying, Lord, I put to death those things that are not of you. I crucify those things and I take that cross knowing full well that I have left it behind. Now that seems weird. None of us probably do that. When you wake up in the morning and put your feet down on the floor, you probably think, I have to go to the potty. That's probably where you're at in your thought process. You're not thinking, I'm putting to death the sins in my life that are going to make Jesus look not so clear. And yet that's exactly what this is. And so the tangible things that I would give you is that if you want to really study the life of Jesus and get into the word, as you wake up in the morning, take care of the business that you need to take care of, but then carve out that time, that intentional time, to just have a moment with the Lord. Read a story of Christ. Read something out of that Bible. And do that on a daily basis. And not just do it in the morning for 15 minutes. Maybe do it after lunch. Maybe do it on the car ride home and hit play on your Bible app. Maybe do it as any, any time that you can so that you can clearly see the Lord and get your second and third and fourth and fifth touches. You see, the thing is, 
All we have right now with scriptures and studying the life of Christ are a pair of great glasses. They are a pair of glasses that allow us to see as clear as we can for right now. The true second touch, where we see clearly from a distance, perfect eyesight, who Jesus is, comes at our perfect restoration when we leave this world and leave the sins behind on the cross for real and see Jesus in real time. And so for right now, have as many interactions as you can so that more and more of those lenses can focus us in so that we can see clearly who Jesus is and try to our very best ability to live after him, knowing that, it's, that we're not going to be perfect, knowing that you're going to leave here and possibly honk your horn at somebody. Sorry, that may happen, right? Knowing that those things may happen, but striving each and every day to maybe have that happen less and become more and more like who Jesus has always designed us and called us to be. C.S. Lewis says it's for us to become like little Christs. So for us to be good disciples, for us, and I I should probably not say good, for us to be intentional disciples and intentional evangelists. Evangelism means to to bring people to Christ, right? For us, disciple means to follow. For, For us to be intentional in that, And doing it the simple way, it has to start with Jesus. It can't start from anywhere else. Because if it starts from anywhere else, all we're going to see are a bunch of just blurry trees. We're not going to be able to make heads or tails of it. And so it is a daily, continuous act of attempting to see him clearly for who he is. May you... May you hold on to that, and wherever you go, take that truth with you, and maybe share it with someone else who needs the light of life in their lives. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I give you thanks. I thank you that that you have patience. And when we are demanding for instantaneous results that we are reminded that sometimes it's a gradual process. And it is a gradual process not because you are ineffective, but because you are the great teacher. And you are taking us through this step-by-step process to have us become more and more like you. So give us, give us, O Lord, the strength to behold your wondrous mystery to behold your glory, and to have it change us from the inside out. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. What a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope. Christ in power, resurrected, as he will be when he comes. May you understand that truth. And as we understand that truth, we understand the importance of truly studying after the life of Christ, for he is the better Adam. He is everything that we were supposed to be, and therefore good, good to follow our lives after as best we can. May you understand that truth. Share that with somebody else this day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said amen. Have a wonderful weekend.